Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Honored to introduce J.P. Rose, an extraordinary attorney who is not uh, just using his skills to advance himself. He's using his skills as a litigator, as a lawyer to prevent extinction. We are racing towards extinction. Just two seconds before this live, I got an email from um, a group, I believe Earth Justice, with these alarming statistics about how um, wild animals everywhere are going extinct, they're dying. The Center for Biological Diversity, based here in California, uh, has done so much to try to preserve wild animals. If they go, we go, people. So, uh, JP, thank you for joining us. Tell us about this new proposed legislation here in California that will literally, I mean, if we got to boil it down, provide freeway overpasses for wild animals so they don't get trapped in little pockets. Sure, and thank you so much for having me, Jane. It's a pleasure to be on today. Um, and yeah, just uh, to comment briefly on what you were just sharing, we are in fact in the midst of an extinction crisis. Um, in fact, animals and plants are going extinct at up to 10,000 times the background rate. And some scientists project that within this century, up to 30 to 50% of species could go extinct. Um, and so here in California, we have some of the world's most incredible biodiversity, um, but it's also some of the most imperiled biodiversity. So one of the ways we're hoping to help stop this crisis is to make our roads and landscapes safer for wildlife through wildlife crossings and better land use planning. So that's why the Center for Biological Diversity, along with Wildlands Network, is sponsoring the Safe Roads and Wildlife Protection Act. I'd love to share a little more about what the act does, if you'd like. We are speaking with J.P. Rose, who is the top lawyer for the Center for Biological Diversity, an incredible environmental organization here in California fighting to save species from extinction. There is a bill. This is so important because obviously when you think of California, you think of freeways. How are these animals going to get from point A to point B if there's a eight or 10 lane freeway separating them. They just get killed. We all see the roadkill all the time. And so this may sound like futuristic, wait a second, overpasses for animals, but it's a practical solution. So tell us in detail, like how did this come about and what can people do to support it? Sure, yeah. So um, it's called the Safe Roads and Wildlife Protection Act. Um, And just speaking very broadly, um, it does two main things. Um, First, it requires state officials uh, to incorporate wildlife crossings into future road and highway expansions. 
And then secondly, it requires Caltrans, which is our state transportation agency, to make existing roads and highways safer for wildlife and people by implementing at least 10 wildlife crossings per year. And, um, you know, for me personally, I've been uh, working on pushing legislation like this for a few years, and I'm really excited about it because it will do so much to address this problem in California. Um, Mountain lions in particular have really um, faced a lot of hardship due to to our lack of wildlife crossings and just kind of the way freeways have been built with so little consideration of how they impact wildlife connectivity. Um, as you may know, Jane, um, mountain lions in Southern California have been facing an extinction vortex that has been driven primarily by a loss of wildlife habitat. Um, recent studies have shown in the Santa Monica Mountains, um, there's been what's known as inbreeding depression, um, where they're seeing birth defects in the mountain lions because they simply can't um, move across the landscape to find mates that are unrelated to themselves. And then there's a more kind of uh, visceral problem of mountain lions are literally just getting hit by cars on the freeway. Um, something around one to 200 per year in California are hit. Um, and also, you know, wildlife connectivity is an issue for all sorts of other species as well in California. Let me, let me say this because nothing could be more important. Um, if, if animals go, we go. And there is um, a whole, uh, you can describe it better, but there is an ecosystem. And the idea that we can sort of wipe out one species where uh, it doesn't have an impact on other species is just false. Anytime I see rat traps, I try to tell people, you know, you're not just killing rats and there are other ways to deal with rats but you're killing the wild animals that then feed off that carcass and it goes, the pesticides go all the way up the food chain. Right. And what we're seeing is just a decimation of wildlife. So you have the um, inbreeding because these animals are kept in tiny little areas because of development and because of farming and because of freeways. Exactly. Then you have the pesticides. Um, they're being driven to extinction. And um, unfortunately, um, institutions, not just private corporations, but government agencies often look at large spaces uh, where animals live as sort of empty land that they need to do something with. They get itchy fingers. I mean, mm -hmm. we have that happening right here in Los Angeles uh, with ecological reserves that people want to get their hands on. So is it too late? Can we turn this around, JP? Yes, I think we can. Um, the good news is from what we've seen in other states and even with some crossings in California is that wildlife crossings do work. Um, so other states such as uh, Colorado, Utah and Wyoming that have invested in wildlife crossings have seen dramatic reductions in vehicle wildlife collisions um, in areas where they've implemented the crossings up to 81 to 98 percent reductions in these vehicle wildlife collisions. And up in Canada, there's um, by uh, Banff National Park, there's um, some crossings they put up there. And studies after the crossing show that both grizzly bears and black bears have had an increase in genetic diversity. So they're able to maintain healthier populations. So the same thing could happen with uh, California mountain lion populations. Um, they could increase their genetic diversity as well if we invest in these crossings. And, you know, even with smaller species, such as um, 
you know, lizards, uh, snakes, stuff like that, um, in a pilot study conducted in Sierra National Forest, an elevated section of a road allowed Yosemite toads as well as snakes and lizards to safely cross over a road that used to be pretty deadly for wildlife. So the, the short answer is that wildlife crossings work um, when they're combined with um, better land use planning, um, when we don't build in areas that are critical to wildlife connectivity, um, that gives uh, California wildlife a fighting chance to uh, survive. So what are the chances of this bill passing? I think it's absolutely critically important. So often I will be driving down a freeway and see land here and land here and know that those animals are risking their lives every time they try to cross over. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a common sense solution, but often people and politicians feel like, oh, well, if it's just animals, it doesn't count. Is that attitude changing? You know, I'm very hopeful it's changing. Uh, The Center for Biological Diversity is lucky to have a wonderful partner on this bill, the Wildlands Network, um, and it's being authored by Assemblymember Laura Friedman out of LA and Ash Kalra out of the Bay Area. So we have some amazing partners in the conservation and legislative community on this. In addition, um, we've seen a huge wellspring of support from other conservation groups, animal rights groups, community groups, even hunting groups supporting this bill. um, so far, not very much opposition. So we're hopeful that the bill will continue to move through the committee process and eventually go for a vote before the entire legislature and be signed by the governor. Um, This is a very timely problem. It's a problem that we can fix through uh, better land use planning and the incorporation of wildlife infrastructure, wildlife crossing infrastructure. So I'm I'm very optimistic about the bill's chances of success. So let me ask you this. It seems sometimes to me, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but the Department of the uh, Fish and Wildlife Agencies Mm -hmm. seem to act more like, well, fish and game. You Mm -hmm. know, the mentality is. So we have hunting going on in this Mm -hmm. state at a time when we are racing towards extinction. You also have the infamous uh, Wildlife Services, which is like a federal agency running around killing wild animals at an alarming rate. And there's been many exposés done of that. What can we do to stop uh, our tax dollars from being used to uh, kill animals? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because, yes, you're working so hard to preserve these animals. But meanwhile, other agencies of government are running around killing them. Yeah, and regarding the uh, the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, you're 100% correct. It, it used to be called the California, um, it used to have the word game in it and be very focused on, you know, game and hunting. Um, and I think it's still, you know, because of the way it's set up with the laws that enacted it, that's still part of its focus. But, um, you know, I'm hopeful it will continue to do a better job of um, addressing the needs of wildlife. Uh, we've seen that with For instance, their decision to provisionally list California mountain lions a year or so ago um, and with other decisions, but there's obviously a lot of room for improvement. And like you mentioned, Jane, on the federal level, you have uh, wildlife services, um, as they're euphemistically called, which is literally killing coyotes, uh, bears, mountain lions at the behest of the livestock industry. Um, And animal agriculture 
is and continues to be one of the most destructive industries on earth. It's contributing to biodiversity loss, um, the destruction of immense amounts of habitats, um, and obviously to the climate crisis as well. So I think long-term, um, we need to continue transitioning um, towards a more plant-focused diet, um, not just for the sake of the animals, um, but also for the sake of our climate, for biodiversity, and for the planet's um, health. Well, uh, there was a proposed piece of legislation to ban new factory farms and new slaughterhouses in California. And of course, it was sent to the Agriculture Committee, which then turned it into a study. And who knows who's going to do that study? So um, there is, you know, we like to think of California as a blue state, as a progressive state. And of course, the old saw is whatever happens here in California spreads to the rest of the world. But Uh, My understanding is that we are one of the largest agricultural states. I think we've eclipsed uh, Wisconsin in terms of the number of dairy cows, something like two million dairy cows. So we're a major uh, agricultural uh, state and agricultural industries have a lot of influence in Sacramento on the politicians. Hence, Mm -hmm. um, the idea of and I agree with you completely no more factory farms, no more slaughterhouses here in California. That went over like a lead balloon in the uh, in the legislature, even though, you know, it was proposed. And there's um, a lot of support amongst the people. Remember, it's the people who overwhelmingly passed Prop 12 uh, that said that, you know, animals in farms should have a right to turn around, stretch their wings and not be kept in cages. So the people of California are supportive of animal welfare. um, And yet the legislature seems to be controlled more by industry than by the sentiments of the people of California. Can you address that? Yeah, no, I think that's 100% correct. And something, you know, I think all of us together are continuing to try to address through being more engaged as community members, more engaged in the political process, um, you know, supportive of groups that are trying to influence the levels of power in Sacramento. Um, but, you know, I, I agree there is a disconnect between uh, what Californians want the legislature to do and what happens sometimes. And part of that is just because of special interests. Uh, for instance, with the our campaign to list Southern California mountain lions uh, that I mentioned earlier, even though that is, you know, slowly moving forward, there's been um, a huge amount of pushback from, uh, for instance, the California Cattlemen's Association Association um, and other groups which are intent on continuing to, um, you know, be able to kill uh, mountain lions and other other animals kind of at whenever they see the the need or desire to. And I think, again, we we hopefully will continue to see a cultural shift where we don't view um, wildlife as this commodity or thing to exploit. We don't view animals as something to exploit. And instead, we, um, you know, see them as the as having inherent value um, aside from their use to humans. Well, here's the problem. Yeah. We've been talking about wildlife services for decades now. I mean, I read an expose that was truly horrifying about their trapping and their killing methods. This is the U.S. government doing this Mm -hmm. at the behest of cattle ranchers who want to spend less money protecting their herds, even though the number of predators actually killing cows and other uh, farmed animals is very low. Mm -hmm. They still would rather just wipe all the species out 
Um, you've heard about bears getting hunted. I mean, right. there's, it's not a question of like slowly changing the culture. We've been trying to do that. The cult, when, when, when you have these agencies out there as killing machines, something's got to be done. And, and the disconnect between California being a progressive, environmentally friendly state and what's actually happening is huge. You know, it just seems like the time for allowing people to gradually change is over. They're not changing. I mean, Wildlife Services was exposed decades ago, and it's still going strong. Yeah, it's it's a huge problem. And, you know, the center, this hasn't been a focus of mine, but I know other folks at the center have been, um, you know, engaged in litigation, challenging wildlife services for many years and slowly, you know, achieving some victories there. So, you know, at the center, we're definitely using all levels of power that we can to limit this crisis and to um, end this needless slaughter of animals throughout the country. Um, also, obviously, through campaigning, lobbying, um, every means available. Um, I would say in California, there has been some improvement, at least compared to some of the other states. For instance, some other states still allow things like coyote killing contests or um, rattlesnake killing contests, where they literally just try to bait the animals and shoot as many as possible. Those have been outlawed in California. Um, in addition, other Western states um, still allow trophy hunting of mountain lions, which I think is just um, you know, very outrageous and something that should be ended immediately. Um, California banned trophy hunting in mountain lions quite a while ago, I think in the 90s. Um, and, you know, obviously mountain lions still face a, a tough road in California, but um, at least we're not shooting them for fun here anymore. Um, so I think there is incremental progress, but I agree it's, it's far too slow and there's so much more that needs to be done to, you know, allow all animals to have, um, you know, safety and not be needlessly exploited by humans. Um, tell us about this new piece of legislation. Are yeah. we going to see overpasses over the 405 and the 101 and the 5? And if so, when and how will that help wild animals get from point A to point B so they don't uh, die of starvation, thirst or inbreeding? Yeah. So um, just to get a little more into the nuts and bolts of the bill, um, as I mentioned, it's called the Safe Roads and Wildlife Protection Act. Um, and it has kind of three main components that will help address uh, what you just mentioned. Uh, first, it's going to require state officials to develop a wildlife connectivity action plan. Um, and so the purpose of this plan is to inform the strategic implementation of wildlife crossings and also enhance coordination between in state and federal agencies, tribes, local governments, and conservancies. And really the purpose of the plan is to map out important connectivity areas um, and roadkill hotspots, um, as well as ensure for like um, monitoring protocols. So when crossings are built, um, we can assess how well they're working. But the second kind of major component that is equally important is actually developing the wildlife connectivity project list where um, Caltrans in partnership with state wildlife officials as well as conservation groups will literally write out a list of where we need to have these projects, um, you know, on the 101, on the I-5, on um, smaller roads to ensure that we don't keep needlessly killing animals and blocking their ability to find mates, food, and shelter. And finally, um, the third component is to um, basically help undo the damage caused by previous 
um, highway construction where, you know, Caltrans or state agencies may have built freeways without really considering wildlife connectivity. It will um, require Caltrans to implement at least 10 of these wildlife crossing projects per year. And this can mean something like a big overpass over a freeway. It can also mean something smaller like um, enhancing a culvert under a road so that wildlife um, feel safe or comfortable using it. It can be directional fencing to make sure that, um, you know, deer or other animals aren't getting kind of channeled into areas where they're just getting hit by cars. So the, the, the bill does kind of attempt to holistically address the problem. And, um, you know, in the, the few crossing projects we have seen in California, those have been very beneficial um, to help address it and limit the amount of, you know, death cost to animals. And how do these animals stumble upon these crossings? I mean, we know animals are smart. Uh, yeah. My dogs, you know, they want to go home. I turn around, oh, they know where they live and they figure things out really quickly. Um, how quickly do animals, wild animals, use these crossings? Yeah, um, well, it's kind of two sides to a coin, in my view. There's um, the question of where to put them to make them most likely to be used. And then once they're implemented, the animals um, slowly become adjusted to them. But as far as like where to put them, we've seen areas where there's high levels of roadkill, where you know animals are trying to cross the road because maybe it's a historic migration route and they're just unable to and they're getting hit by cars. So this can often be like in canyons or in riparian or stream areas where there's just, um, you know, without the road, there would have been a lot of wildlife traffic and a lot of animals moving through. Um, but, you know, in post-completion um, studies of crossings that have been implemented both in California and other places, animals do become adjusted to using them. Um, sometimes it takes a little bit of time, um, but especially for kind of wide-ranging animals like deer and mountain lions, they can often figure it out over time. And that's why, you know, these are such a beneficial thing, not just for wildlife, but also for people and for public safety as well. What can people do? This is a great idea. I love this. What can we do to make sure this happens? Us in California and around the world, because really this is a global issue. Extinction affects everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, extinction doesn't know state boundaries or even national boundaries. Yeah, um, there's a there's a couple of things. Definitely um, sign up for our lists at biologicaldiversity.org. Um, there's also um, an action alert where you can literally just send a message to your state legislator um, at savecaliforniallions.org, um, just at the bottom of the page. Um, in addition, feel free to connect with me um, over like email or Instagram. I'm jrose at biologicaldiversity.org. But yeah, just um, sign up for our mailing list and um, we're going to have an action alert soon that you can send to your state assembly member, state senator about the bill. Um, obviously, you can just, you know, call your local legislator as well. The bill is AB 2344, the Safe Roads and Wildlife Protection Act. Um, yeah, and obviously, you know, use social media. Um, whatever way you usually kind of um, share about things is wonderful and a way to amplify this important um, campaign. Well, I think that actually your automatic email to legislators is a huge, huge tool. Tell mm -hmm. us again, what is that website? Yes. So um, currently our action alert is posted at savecalifornialions.org. 
And then um, it's actually, if you just go to the bottom of the page, it says, I think it says take action. Yeah. It says take action now to help mountain lions and other animals. And if you just click that, then there's um, the kind of a pre-written uh, letter you can send. You can put in your name and it will go to your local legislature, legislator if you live in California. Excellent. Um, now, what Center for Biological Diversity does so much and we're so glad that you're there on the front lines fighting for voiceless animals. Obviously, you know, animals cannot go to Sacramento and hold a rally on the steps. They need us to speak for them. Um, what else is the Center for Biological Diversity up to when it comes to protecting animals? Oh, quite a bit. Um, I mean, in my, so I work in the urban wildlands program and we focus on um, protecting wildlife and habitats that are vulnerable to unsustainable developments. Um, and so a lot of what we do in my program is ensuring that kind of those open space areas that you mentioned earlier that are often at risk for development are not being overdeveloped with, you know, new housing, warehouses, commercial um, developments. And so um, part of that is just pushing for wildlife wiser land use planning, um, ensuring that we um, consider wildlife connectivity and the needs of animals when we're, you know, building new housing or whatever type of development we're pursuing. And yeah, I can definitely share more about specific projects in the future too. Yes. All right. We're going to take a short break here on Voice America Radio, but we are staying live on Facebook. So uh, let's go to break. And on the other side, we're going to tell you how you can get involved in saving animals from extinction. Get Unchained. Tune in every Monday for Jane Unchained on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and social media influencer, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Jane Unchained Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influence channel the voice america talk radio network is on instagram make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows live events and around the network we want to see what you have to share as well check us out on instagram at voice america talk radio we don't follow we lead join us the voice america influencers channel You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Hello, we are here with J.P. Rose, who is an extraordinary attorney for the Center for Biological Diversity, fighting for voiceless wild animals, 
who are being driven to extinction. And it's happening in California, supposed to be one of the most progressive states, one of the states that's most environmentally friendly. And yet there is a real war on wildlife here um, being waged by farming, by development, by uh, the government uh, working on be- at the behest of uh, the animal agriculture industry. So, um, JP, let's talk a little bit about greenwashing. This yeah. is the latest trend. Yeah. And greenwashing is when uh, corporate interests propose something and try to make it sound like it's a restoration or something that is pro-wildlife, uh, pro-the uh, environment, but it's actually... Um, really a covert action for developers and others in industry to make money by exploiting a resource that needs to be either left alone or tended to gently. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a problem, Jane. And I think, um, you know, it's a way of exploiting people's um, desire to protect wildlife and animals. And, you know, corporations realize that there's most people want to protect wildlife and animals and ecosystems. And so they kind of brand or market their their products or their services or what they're doing in a manner that they are kind of um, pretending that they care about these values when in fact um, often what they're doing is harming these values and um, wildlife that they're claiming to support. And yeah, for me, um, one way that one place that I see this in the work that I do is with developers who will um, say they're building this like wildlife or climate friendly development because, you know, say they're maybe putting solar panels on it, which, you know, solar panels are great. uh, But if you're bulldozing wildlife habitat or evicting endangered species in order to put up, you know, a new warehouse or new housing, there's no way that that's, you know, a helpful um, development for the environments. And unfortunately, you know, they have good PR firms, good consultants that are trying to influence not just the public, but also decision makers at like the city or county level to make it seem that these very environmentally damaging projects are actually somehow green or sustainable when in fact they aren't. So what can we do about this? Because, you know, it really, we're getting to a point where there's no turning back. Uh, It's not just me saying this. Sir David Attenborough has a great documentary. I believe it's on Netflix. I saw it, Breaking Boundaries. When you cross a boundary like species extinction, there's really no going back. And we are barreling toward that boundary and that's going to trigger uh, an ecological collapse. Uh, The bees, for example, Uh, if we wipe out the bees, we're going to be in real trouble because pollination is a very important way for us to get food. Can you break that whole issue down? Because I don't think a lot of people understand that. They're putting out their rat traps, they're using pesticides, and they think there's no repercussions, but there are. Yeah, no, it, it's a it's a huge issue, and, and I, I wish I could uh, lay out in like three points how we're going to solve the extinction crisis. Um, but, you know, it, it's definitely an uphill battle. Um, it's a battle I feel privileged to try to fight every day. Um, just on, you know, the issue of like rodenticides and pesticides, that's definitely an issue in California, but also throughout the country and the world where we have uh, wildlife like bees that are literally um, 
channeling towards extinction because of all the poisons that we put on our foods. Um, in California, we made a little bit of progress on the rodenticide issue where um, a bill that the Center Coast um, sponsored a few years ago, um, AB 1788, um, was designed to limit the amount of some of the most deadly second generation rodenticides. Um, but there's still so much work to do to ensure that we're not poisoning wildlife. Um, and, you know, one of the things we talked about a little earlier that I think is so critical to addressing both the extinction and the um, ext extinction and the climate crisis is, is helping to uh, wean Americans, but also the whole world off of kind of our addiction to meat. Um, you know, there's there's so much we can do through policy change to help encourage people to eat less meat, which is one of the kind of primary drivers of the extinction crisis and the climate crisis. I think um, uh, animal agriculture contributes at least 15% to um, global greenhouse gas emissions. It's also one of the major um, drivers of habitat loss. Um, and so, you know, there's things we can do on both a uh, personal, but also kind of a community level to address these issues. Personal level, um, you know, eat less meat or, you know, go vegetarian or vegan on a um, community level, support organizations that are fighting this problem, engage with the political process in every way you can in terms of your legislature, but also on the city or county level. Um, and yeah, just a little more on that specific um, topic um, with at the city or county level, there's actually a lot that goes on. Um, you know, a lot of us don't really follow necessarily what's going on at that kind of local level, but some of those decision makers have such um, incredible power to decide whether, you know, thousands of acres get developed and all the wildlife there is bulldozed. So um, holding local leaders accountable is so important to ensuring that we combat the extinction crisis um, in our own backyards. So you mentioned powerful politicians, yeah. they also respond to industry. Mm -hmm. I mean, For sure. Industry has <laughs> money and money talks in all politics. So, um, you know, it, it, it's a conundrum. We've got some callers here. Miriam from Denver, your question or thought. Miriam. Hi. Hello. Thank you so much for having JP here explaining about the um, extinction problem. It really is an a problem, and I'm so happy that they're coming up with solution on on how to remedy the problem. I know it's going to be a hard road, and they need all of our help. And I'm so glad that he mentioned that there's ways and things we can do um, to to help, and we all should do it. We all should get involved because it, it it impacts us. It impacts our home earth and us. So it's very, very important. Um, I also want to address how come no one is talking about, I don't understand why no one is talking about the killing down the trees. It's so many people, so many organizations building all over America, all over. It's like, I think it started when Biden came, um, I mean, when, when Trump came into office, all of a sudden, all these real estate companies are just building like crazy in all well, states me, of America. And they let, have to Miriam, cut down trees. Miriam. Miriam, it, it, can we get your question, though, Miriam? Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yes. Yes. Um, what can we do about the problem of these builders and uh, furniture makers as well cutting down trees? They're cutting Thank down you. too that, many trees. Yeah, that's an excellent question, mm -hmm. and I appreciate it. And, uh, JP, yes, uh, let's, let's take it away. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with you, Miriam. Thanks for bringing that up. That's a huge problem because um, when we cut down trees, um, it, it does a, a couple really tragic things. First, it obviously destroys the ecosystems. Uh, trees are kind of the lifeblood of a lot of forest ecosystems. And it also um, kind of takes away the ability for trees to sequester carbon and um, help mitigate the climate crisis. So um, in California, we have some laws to limit the cutting down of trees, but we have a lot of work to do there um, because we still do have this problem where developers will you know, cut down entire swaths of forest with very little you know, mitigation or um, kind of consequences. But there is actually, there's a bill being considered by the California legislature right now to at least um, start to address this problem specifically for oak trees, which um, here in California, we have um, quite a few left um, and are really important to our ecosystems. The bill is called SB 1404. And what it would do is say that um, if a developer or person cuts down at least uh, three oak trees, then that would be considered like an impact under state law and require them to do something to mitigate that impact, such as planting new trees or conserving other trees that aren't currently protected. So I, I think that's a good example of a law that if enacted would um, help kind of slow this death by a thousand cuts that's happening with our trees and forests. Um, so again, that's SB 1404. Um, and I think uh, State Senator Henry Stern is the um, author of that bill. So please consider supporting that bill or telling your um, legislature folks to support that. But obviously, you know, um, throughout the country, we need better laws protecting trees and there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Let me ask you about the Endangered Species Act. Yeah, Because in some of these cases where these animals are at risk, there are endangered and threatened species. Mm -hmm. So isn't there a national law that says, hey, if there are endangered species, you've got to stop. You can't do whatever you want. And it seems like there are people who are getting around that. There are loopholes. Yeah, no, so we do have, we have the Federal Endangered Species Act, um, which is one of the most powerful environmental laws ever enacted. Um, it's an amazing law that um, provides a process to list um, endangered species, but then also designate areas as critical or important habitat for them. But I think where the rubber hits the road um, is in the enforcement of it. And I'm really proud that at the center, um, you know, over the past couple of decades, we've done so much to enforce the Endangered Species Act in terms of making sure that species that should be listed are in fact listed, and then making sure that their habitat is um, designated under the proper processes. Um, and that often means litigating with the federal government, which, you know, depending on who's in charge, who the president is, can be, um, the government can be very slow to respond to the extinction crisis. And then also just on a very local level, ensuring that um, the things that have been, the protections in the act are actually enforced for species um, for instance, uh, with the California tiger salamander, which is um, an endangered species that we have here in California, there was just an instance um, recently where um, an airport bulldozed um, many acres of critical habitat for the California tiger salamander without any permits or anything. And we recently sent a letter to that airport um, announcing our intent to sue them because of this um, gross violation of the Federal Endangered Species Act. So um, again, it requires proper enforcement, but it is a very powerful law that um, we're happy to have on the books. So 
What is your assessment of where we are in terms of wildlife wipeout in California? California is a huge state. Mm-hmm. It's also a huge economy. It would be the fifth largest economy in the world if it was its own country. Where do we stand? So there's, there's good news and bad news. I think the good news is that California still has some of the most incredible biodiversity of any place on earth. Um, part of that is because we have, you know, we have coastal mountains, we have, we have deserts, we have um, high desert, we have the Sierra Nevada, we have all different types of ecosystems supporting um, all different types of animals. Um, the bad news is that, um, you know, according to like recent surveys, it's one of the most imperiled spots um, in the 48 lower states for biodiversity. There's so much development pressure um, on the remaining wild areas. Um, some ecosystems like California's native grasslands are, I think, around 99% already completely gone forever due to development. Um, and we're, you know, fighting to save what's left. Um, so there's, it, it's, it's tragic, the loss that we've had, but there's still so much left to protect in California. Um, and, you know, we're, we're trying to do that through the Federal Endangered Species Act, but also California has the California Endangered Species Act, and we're getting species listed on that um, as well. So there's, there's definitely work to do. And um, we're doing the best we can. But yeah, obviously, the more attention on these issues, the more there'll be actual change. Okay, uh, Paige, your question or thought for J.P. Rose. Thank you. I'm a California resident, and my question is, I see people in my neighborhood just just taking down trees left and right all the time. For It looks like for convenience, there's, they're blocking the view, or they just don't want it there. I'm not sure. So what can we do as residents when it comes to, you know, these precious trees that we need to keep, you know, in the ground? Thank you. Good question. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, well, depending where you live, some cities and counties have local tree protection ordinances that provide um, more protection than maybe state law. So um, one place to look would just see if wherever you live, the city or county has some kind of um, ordinance that would help address that. And obviously if they do, and it seems that the ordinance is being violated by the cutting down trees, definitely alert um, you know, your local authorities or local planning department to make them aware of this. Um, in addition, like I mentioned, there are, there are some bills and policies being considered to help address the cutting down trees, such as um, SB 1404, which is currently being considered by the California legislature. And that one is kind of specific to oak trees, making sure that, for instance, if a developer cuts down oak trees, that they have to um, either um, mitigate that impact somehow or protect other oak trees. Um, but yeah, I think we need to continue to um, ensure that on a very kind of local level, we're protecting our wildlife and our, our trees because, you know, that's that's really all we have at the end of the day. And so um, thank you for continuing to monitor that where you live. So JP, I want to get back on the few minutes we have to explain to people why wildlife is important for them. I remember we had just a beehive here that just appeared on the side of the building. And some of the people in the neighborhood were like, well, let's exterminate it. That was their first go-to. Not to say everybody, but there were a few people I said, hold on, let's Google it first and see what could be done. Well, I Googled it. 
And it turns out that it said that bee hives often disappear after a couple of days, leave them alone and they go away. So that's mm-hmm. exactly what we did. And a couple of days later, the beehive had disappeared because they moved on. But that kill reaction is so scary. And it's happening all over in gated communities, in um, various places. Um, there's a whole controversy about uh, a, a golf uh entity in the Palm Springs area wanting to kill a swan. And that's a big local controversy now. Uh, The kill mentality. Let's just kill whatever is inconvenient, whoever is inconvenient for us. What would you say to people to try to explain to them that that is a self-destructive attitude? Yeah, I mean, well, well, for me, I'm kind of just taking a step back. On a very philosophical level, I I believe that all species of plants and animals have a right to exist and that the the welfare of humans and nature is intrinsically linked. And, you know, I I hope the next generation of humans inherits a world where the wild is still alive. Um, But kind of in addition to that kind of more moral or philosophical view, wildlife ecosystems and plants are incredibly important on a very practical level to humans. Um, You mentioned uh, bees and pollinators. I think it's something around 90% of wild plants are dependent on insect pollination. Um, Pollination services provided by bees also contribute to plant diversity and crop pollination that provides, I think, around 35% of the global food supply, around one of every three bites of food. So when we, you know, really nearly kill or poison bees, we're really killing ourselves in a sense by limiting our ability to have food. Um, And, you know, as far as when you take out one animal from an ecosystem or drive one animal to one species to extinction, um, it can have um, kind of a cascade effect on the rest of the ecosystem. Um, For instance, in the Eastern US where we don't have cougars anymore because they were basically hunted to extinction over the last 200 years, um, we now have much higher deer populations, which contribute to more vehicle wildlife collisions, um, higher levels of like um, sick deer that have um, lots of ticks. There's more Lyme disease in the Eastern US. And so when you take out one species from an ecosystem, it has like what are known as trophic cascades where it will impact other areas as well. So obviously we, we, need, to, we need to support and protect our ecosystems not just for their own sake, but also because of how they benefit people in terms of providing um, food, providing um, clean water, um, and providing a livable climate. So, um, yeah, I'm hopeful that all of us will continue to um, keep that in mind in our choices and how we um, live our lives. So, a couple of questions. We're almost out of time. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Are we going to figure it out in time? Because... We are racing toward extinction, and there are various ways of analyzing it, but some say by the end of this decade, we could have almost no wildlife vertebrates left on this planet. Some say it's 30 years, but if we don't change, we are going to hit massive wildlife extinction. There's even an extinction clock that you can go to online that is absolutely terrifying. Um, We have wildfires in California. That's also wiping out a lot of animals. Um, you know, the drought is wiping out a lot of animals. So are we going to make it? <laughs> I, I wish I had a, a, an answer to that. I, I will just share that I think um, there are a lot of 
really effective and passionate people like yourself who are working on these issues and the more people who who care and um, kind of translate their care into action the more likely that we're going to have a livable planet climate that's excuse me livable planet for people and wildlife in the future um, you're right though we are facing the worst state of extinction since the loss of dinosaurs 65 million years ago so we have a lot of work to do i guess for me personally um you know when i'm on my deathbed i hope to look back and know that i did everything that i could to stop the extinction and climate crisis through my actions and you know i think um it, it's just a matter of taking whatever steps we can with the power that we have to address these issues and you know i am hopeful that we will still have a livable planet in the future but there there is so much to do so uh last final question we have only one or two minutes what why <laughs> you you're very passionate about this issue you're an attorney uh, you've chosen a really difficult line of work, very challenging, going up against some pretty powerful forces in government and industry. Well, I was really lucky to grow up um, next to protected open space in the, the foothills of the Santa Cruz Mountains. And so I spent a lot of my childhood just um, looking for species of snakes or lizards or looking for wildlife and just establishing a connection to nature. And I hope that, you know, every kid has that opportunity um, when they grow up. And, you know, if, if I can kind of help the next generation of people have that in some way, then I'll feel like it was a life well lived and so for me it's just the love of nature and how important nature is to people that has um, kind of drawn me to working in conservation and once again we've been talking with we are talking with jp rose who is a top attorney senior attorney for center for biological diversity and he is behind this campaign to get a law passed that will provide overpasses for wild animals so that they don't die of starvation, of drought, or of inbreeding. Mm -hmm. And literally, there are, obviously, we all know, huge freeways. California is a freeway state. These animals are stuck in little pockets. They need to be able to get over to the other pocket of land on the other side of the freeway without becoming roadkill. And what are the chances of this bill passing, JP? Um, I'm very hopeful it will pass. There hasn't been much formal opposition and there's been so much support from community members, from different types of organizations in conservation, um, animal welfare, et cetera. And so I'm really excited about the possibility of it passing um, in the next few months. And I'm just so thankful that you have me on today and excited to uh, hopefully celebrate in a few months when the bill passes. Well, absolutely. When it passes, come back and we will celebrate. I can't wait till I drive down the freeway and see an overpass with animals going over it. That seems like a miracle. It's a mm -hmm. creative solution and it's good for animals, people and the planet. If they go, we go. You just heard it. Uh, pollination is responsible for one out of every three bites of food and 90% of wild habitat. So if we disrupt the food chain by allowing animals to go into extinction, then it offsets everything. It throws nature out of balance and you have disease, you have death and we have climate change. So we really need to get busy with this I hope this bill passes. Everybody, take action. You've heard what the action is. 
take the action now. Let's save California, its animals, its people, and let's save the whole planet. What happens in California spreads to the rest of the world. Thank you, J.P. Rose, for joining us, and we'll talk soon. Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week. 